And welcome to this week's episode of Making It in Asheville. Making It in Asheville is your weekly podcast to hear some of the stories of Asheville's artists, entrepreneurs, makers, community leaders, uh, and hear what they are making and how they are making it in Asheville. And this week we are joined by Jacob Ballard, who is the founder, CEO, creator, director, uh, and parallel entrepreneur behind the Asheville Print Shop and Screen Printing and Nature Bound. And so there is a lot that I'm excited to talk to Jacob about in today's episode. But perhaps we just say, Jacob, please introduce yourself and know that I want to immediately attack and unpack parallel entrepreneur. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Um, I'm Jacob Ballard. Uh, consider myself a parallel entrepreneur, as you mentioned, and excited to also talk about that. Um, originally from Florida, the central part of the state called Lakeland. I noticed there's a lot of Floridians uh, in Asheville, so um, hopefully I can resonate with some of you. Um, I moved here in 2009 in Asheville, graduated college from USF, and uh, moving up here was one of the best decisions I ever made. Love Asheville. Consider West Asheville my home, and um, yeah, excited for this podcast, excited for just entrepreneurship and just conversations about it. Amazing. Well, uh, yeah, there's there's a, another vocab word that I've heard in, in the years since putting Asheville on our radar and then actually making the move uh, is the idea of a, the halfback landing in Asheville. So they, they start up in my neck of the woods, which was New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, wow. tri, the, the, as they call the tri-state area, go to Florida, say, you know what, it's a little too different. It's a little too hot. Maybe uh, what's this hurricane nonsense all about? And then they find their way to the hills of Western North Carolina and they're halfway back to New Jersey. So, uh, I, I, so we skipped the Florida part and met you here. And I'm, I'm excited also to talk about entrepreneurship. So uh, parallel entrepreneur, talk to me. Uh, the, the, the word that most people will throw around is entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur. We had a uh, entrepreneur mother and son who actually are in serial, which was gave me so much life because that's a different take on the serial entrepreneur. But uh, parallel, yeah. <laughs> parallel entrepreneur versus uh, serial, talk to me. Yeah, so um, I used to say serial, believe it or not, and um, you know, entrepreneurship's just been in my soul mm. since I can remember. Um, there's actually a book. I don't want to take credit for the word myself, but there's actually a book called Parallel Entrepreneur. It's been a while since I've read it, but I knew for sure that I would take that word with me. Mm. Um, I just think the word serial, you know, typically is is affiliated with something usually negative in my opinion other than entrepreneurship and um that that i started to think about and when i when i got my hands on that cover and that book it was it was a game changer it's a great book i highly recommend it but um parallel so you're just always constantly evolving you know as an entrepreneur it's important to to not get complacent and you know the book covers that and um as an entrepreneur, you're always testing new things and new ideas. And so I don't just say I'm a business owner or even just an entrepreneur. Parallel really describes like how I think, how I feel about entrepreneurship. And um, highly recommend you looking into it. If you Google it, you should find uh, the gentleman's name. And we'll, we'll, we'll at the very least have links to it on the show notes page. I'm making it in Asheville, potentially even call it out in the uh, description on the players for the podcast. 
Um, so we don't need to necessarily, but just, just in case parallel to me, I'm assuming it has to do with multiple entrepreneurial endeavors happening at the same time. Correct. Yep. And then just new levels all the time as well. Just changing things up, trying, trying new things, testing out ideas. You know, it's, it's what we do in day in, day out. So, and so how did that, I mean, uh, when did parallel entrepreneur show up in your, you know, Amazon search? When did you see it on the bookshelf? Um, you, you said that you've been entrepreneur or entrepreneurial since forever. Um, mm-hmm. Let's unpack a little bit about uh, of that. Like when about did you really step into this? I'm a multiple business owner um, persona. That's a great question. Um, I'd say so moving into Asheville, it took a good year for me to find my entrepreneurial journey. Um, you know, I was focused more on just enjoying the the environment, you know, live music, different food. I grew up in a very cookie cutter uh, type of place. A lot of chains would get tested uh, where I'm from. Think, uh, you know, the show Weeds, Little Boxes, you know. That's, little that's, Boxes everywhere. Yeah, the intro music. That's kind yeah. of how it feels. Um, but uh you know, I, I just found myself constantly starting a business and then having another idea needing to fulfill that. And, mm. and you know, there was another good book that I read. I believe it was called The Hundred Dollar Startup. Mm. And Chris Gillibou or something Frenchy. Yeah, that's Gillibou. a good <laughs> And uh, if I remember correctly, it was something along the lines of if an idea is in your head and, and you can't let it go, write it down. If it stays with you, then then you have to you have to give it a shot. And mm. uh, I just find myself doing that, you know, pretty frequently. And, um, I'd say when, when parallel really hit probably five, six years ago, if I had to guess okay. it did pop up in Amazon, uh, related to other books that I read or mm-hmm. suggest. And uh, if I remember correctly, I even found it, uh, possibly through the hundred dollar startup, but I could be wrong. Okay. Don't that. But, um, I dove into the book. I'd say in a in a good five days, I finished it. If, uh, I don't think it's a a massive book by any means, but I was just hooked. And mm. um, you know, being as busy as I am, it's hard for me to sit down and and read a couple hours at a time. But I was just hooked on that, and um, I didn't necessarily take away the mastermind plan to becoming an entrepreneur, but the whole parallel and and understanding that there's a lot of us out there. Mm was it felt good so yeah i guess i guess you could say i i really strapped down on on that word five maybe six years ago and and took ownership you know i'm proud of it great and so um maybe let's set the stage with with where we are today so you have um Asheville print shop and nature bound maybe at a high level we talk about each one and then hop into the story of how they started or or what that hundred dollar itch test uh felt like or looked like when when you started them yeah so um we'll talk about Asheville print shop and screen printing so uh we pride ourselves in being a a one-stop print shop so we cover everything from uh digital printing so signage decals uh stationery a letterhead you know all kinds of fun you know day-to-day printing that your your average business is going to need and um then we do the whole merchandise side so <laughs> t-shirts hats patches hoodies tank tops and um 
it didn't start out that way, believe it or not. You know, it started with uh, digital printing and printing uh, signage or printing stickers and just really enjoying the, you know, essentially the way I used to describe the printing company was every client that would come in that we haven't worked with before and it would be all different levels. Somebody comes in with an idea and maybe they have it uh, a sketch on a sticky note. Essentially, those are tiny little micro businesses that we get to start and really help. You know, I like to tell the team here today that like we provide the most value to companies that are maybe that one, five, ten person team because the reality is as a business owner and a small business owner, you you're strapped for resources, for time, for you know, capabilities. And so we can come in and just make it really easy to have a conversation or take a design and bring it to life and then transfer it consistently across all different print avenues, Mm -hmm. business cards, hats, you know, vehicle wraps. I mean, essentially we say we print almost everything other than most round objects and carpet. So we try to stay away from, from complex items and um, such as those, but it started out with a few things and, and, you know, we found that, there's a lot of opportunity to do more than just uh, a sticker or a T-shirt. And why not just like truly partner up with our clients and figure out how to do some of these other printing techniques. And so over the years, we've really developed and added to our toolbox or our arsenal of different things that we can offer. So wow. we're excited wow. about that. And so that's Asheville Print Shop and Screen Printing. Um, yeah. All in all, I guess... I've been in the printing industry for about 10 years, um, started a clothing company in college while in Florida. We can touch more on that if you'd like, but really just got frustrated with the quality of designs. And then uh, this might actually be about 13 years ago, believe it or not. But I don't know if you remember MySpace pages. I used to customize and design MySpace pages. They were called div layouts Mm -hmm. and um, got really obsessed with the clothing company that I was you know, building. And then I started having people like ask, how'd you do that? Or I wasn't by any means the first uh, person to do that. I I was able to dig and find out like how to do it just because I was interested and and passionate about it. And um, so my my start into printing came with a clothing company that I uh, started in Florida before I'm here, actually. You might have heard Range Urgent Care on our podcast. Husband and wife team lives right here in Asheville, building a better urgent care model. What are they doing? They're making scheduling seamless and straightforward and honest. When they say they'll see you at 4 p.m., you'll be seen at 4 p.m. They make pricing straightforward as well. $149 a visit or less if you subscribe to an annual subscription, which I do. It costs me $30 a month, and I love the peace of mind. But not just that. You don't just get to go in person. You can do virtual visits uh, over your computer or over your phone, and they'll even come to you. They'll do home visits. And to me, I mean, it seems like a absolute no-brainer. You can bring, they have family plans, they have business plans, and to to me, it's a peace of mind thing. It it makes me feel confident and comfortable knowing that I can see range uh, in my subscription a number of times a year and it's built into my my plan. I will not be surprised by a crazy cost and it is covered by most major insurance policies. So if you haven't heard of Range Urgent Care, I welcome you to check out that episode with the power couple that runs it. Uh, also, 
You can check out makingitinashville.com forward slash range to read more about these subscription options and get links to the range website using our link or using our discount code of making it in Asheville will get you a free month in an annual subscription. Again, range urgent care. You can say that we sent you or visit makingitinashville.com forward slash range. Amazing. And then uh, nature bound. Yeah. So nature bound is the product of uh, our our experiences. So um, the way I used to describe nature bound is when I initially started, essentially it is my advice day in, day out to companies or breweries or brands that want to uh, develop their merchandise. Like how do you figure out what sells? What colors do you test? What type of products? Uh, what brands and why are you working with these brands? So it was a pretty uh, frequent conversations, few times, like multiple times a day. Uh, so finally, uh, it started on a trip called the Trans-American Trail. Um, mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to start and, and test my formulas and ideas that I've tried to teach people. Um, but so there's a trail called the Trans-American Trail. Uh, essentially, that is the Appalachian Trail for off-road vehicles. A lot of people do it on uh, motorcycles. They're called dual sports. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother and uh, my partner and his family, we all decided to go on this trip. It's not something you can Google map by any means. You have to get uh, proprietary maps and what's called roll charts. The majority of the trail is non-marked. Uh, for example, a roll chart is go 2.6 miles and turn right on the dirt road. Um, and you you would be lucky if you got dirt road. So we got lost several times and um, we had a lot of time to think, you know, it was a good, you know, it was a, it was a busy year, uh, a much needed vacation right in the middle of early or late spring, sorry. And um, so had a lot of time to reflect in nature. I took a Jeep and actually on the Nature Bound website, you'll see a picture of, of my brother and and myself and our vehicles. He took a Land Rover and I took a Jeep. We had what's called rooftop tents, you know, at the time they were pretty rare and, uh, the, the developments weren't what they are today. So it was, it was a pretty good, uh, test of, you know, trying out new equipment. And we, you know, we obviously used the tents before going on this trip, but, uh, it was completely isolated. So we would see these mountain ranges and, um, few hours later, we'd be on private roads, you know, that uh, really nobody else is out. I remember specifically in Colorado, we hit switchback turns, which are essentially really sharp turns, very thin roads on side of mountains. And, uh, you know, 14,000 feet multiple (laughs) times, you know, uh, very, very interesting roads. So during that trip, we, we would finish up some of these isolated routes and uh, pop into these really small mountain towns. And one of them I really remember was called Salida, Colorado. And so immediately we would go into these towns and pop into a shop or two and just try to get groceries, use the bathroom if we could. Um, and I would immediately get drawn to the merchandise and, and printing section of gifts and stickers and hats and t-shirts. And you they really just highlighted like the town and to me in printing, they, they were decent, but I knew that, Hey, I, I could do this. And not only could I do this, but I think I could make it way better. And so 
I started thinking, continuing on the trip and, and really had a lot of time to come up with the name and, and the name just hit me right there on the spot. I mean, it's towards the end of the trip, but it was Nature Bound, Nature Bound Co. I really, I really like that name. And so, uh, you know, that trip, a lot of time in nature, a lot of time in the, in the mountains and isolation and off-road, it was, it was an amazing trip. I'll never forget it. That is ultimately where Nature Bound started. Um, so fast forward to coming back off the trip, I would say it was probably two, maybe three weeks before I actually started uh, doing anything. And okay. when I initially started, I, I launched with uh, four stores. So uh, one of them was the Chamber of Commerce. The other was Second Gear. Um, they were kind enough to really let me test the idea of the merchandise and seeing what I could do. And so started with a few t-shirts uh, that kind of uh, idolized and, and uh, you know, honed in on the beautiful nature that we have. For example, Max Patch. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've ever been there, but that's mm-hmm. one of my favorite hikes here locally. Um, that was one of the designs that I started with, and people really started to dig it. Uh, we started with T-shirts and um, did really well. So tested in those four stores, and the rest is history. We really started to pivot into stickers shortly after that first initial test and just going crazy on colors and vibrancy and customization and more designs. I'd say now we have close to 800, maybe 900 designs wow. and we customize them uh, specific to the area or we, we create new highlights of areas that we're not in. We sell in uh Places like REI, state parks, national parks, a lot of outdoor specialty retailers, mm. um, and yeah, it's been it's been awesome. You know, it's it's uh, so in my opinion, there's there's four levels of printing. Okay, talk to uh, me. The first level is going to be contract printing, and so contract printing is typically like very inexpensive, very little customer service, and a shop that's just set up to do like massive amounts. For example. Uh, Walmart needs 1.2 million t-shirts for their staff. You know, a contract printer is going to be best set up to just handle that and maybe do five jobs over the course of a year or a quarter. Um, so that'd be level one, like the first level. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, this Hold is, on. this is the, and this makes this episode seem more NPR styles. <laughs> do you need to get that phone though? No, no. <laughs> okay. Um, so, Level two is wholesale. So, and that's what we do at Asheville Print Shop. Okay. So, wholesale printing would be, uh, you know, really strong customer service, making it really easy to work with. We have the bandwidth to work with those smaller companies or even the bigger companies, but we're not set up to necessarily do hundreds of thousands of shirts. Um, so, that's, that's kind of level two, a step up. Um, it's, it's what we do really good at, and uh, it's kind of made us who we are today. Mm-hmm. The third level is is wholesale retail, and so that's what I've worked very hard on getting with NatureBound. So think, uh, got it, got not it. quite at the retail level, but wholesale. And the beautiful part about that is, for us specifically with NatureBound, is we are essentially the manufacturer, and so we're very agile. You know, if I'm a brand and and I need to uh, be at this level, I usually have to work with either the first level or the second level of printing. And so the fact that we are the second level and now worked our way up to the third level, in my eyes, is, is as good as it gets. Because yeah. everything we make essentially is made to order. Um, so 
we get an order, we make stickers and, and other merchandise and t-shirts. There's almost zero waste, which is kind of what we're about at Nature Bound too. Mm. Uh, and then the final level would be retail or what some people call D to C or uh, direct to customer. And mm. so that obviously has like the highest margins when you're talking, uh, okay, what level of business are we on here? But the reality is you also have the most risk. So if I'm an Under Armour or a Nike or a Lululemon, uh, I have to guess how many of each color of every SKU that I have in each size. And so there's a lot of reward there, but there's also the most risk. And so you can you can have one or two bad years of over overproducing or over manufacturing and uh, it can be very costly. Um, and so in those four levels, in my eyes, that's how I explain the industry. Mm. But then there was this mastermind that happened, and I'm sure you've heard about it, but there's a uh, there's a thing called the outlet malls. Yes. So that's like level three and a half. And so some mastermind group came together and was like, hey, we're, we're at this retail level and we have all this stock. What do we do with it? We don't want to sell it and, and wholesale retail because then we don't make any money. And, and uh, how do we get between? And so in my opinion, I believe that's how the whole uh, outlet malls and that channel of in between wholesale retail all the way to retail yeah. kind of spun off so. I, I i think that that's a great four-tier model that makes perfect sense to me and then um the idea of de-risking any one of those models right if you're uh if you're level one contract printing and uh walmart changes who they want to order from because somebody knows somebody or, or whatever uh you've now lost 20 percent of your business or 100 percent of your business or 100 yeah risky and that yeah. happens. That happens pretty often. And in printing, you know, relationships are are pretty important. And uh, you know, you have you have all of your eggs in four or five relationships. It's a pretty risky place to be. Um, but there are companies that are successful with that. And yeah. uh, usually, yeah. they're massive, massive uh, companies with thirty, forty automatic machines and hundreds of people. Um, and uh, that's not what would excite me anyway. So yeah. I'm not really interested in that. So where do you place, uh, and I'm, I'm speaking a little bit outside of my depth, but I do pay a tiny bit of attention to printing. Um, where do you place some of the newer technology in printing, like, uh, not D2C direct to consumer, but D2G direct to garment type of, uh, technology, which, you know, it, it, it seems to cost more, Right, but you carry less inventory, and you can potentially test a concept on a low scale. It's interesting, right? Like this is a we. I think we live in a. I, I outsider says like printing is in some sort of a revolution, where there are some gigantic. Uh, you know, we. I, I feel myself floating in this question, but I I grew up in a time where. Uh, you know, uh, custom ink showed up on internet for like the first time. And I remember in high school, you know, we tried to use the online t-shirt mock-up and it's come a super far away in 20 years. Uh, I'm wondering where do you place things like that? Because w what it was missing was humans. And what was missing is like, it's in town and there's no, I don't know who that who I'm actually buying from. It's the man. I'd rather have a face and a name and a person. Um, but then, you know, hashtag margins matter. And I don't want to commit as a retailer to buying a thousand, uh, you know, 
uh, units of a of a garment. Exactly. No, you you hit on a very interesting topic. So we actually offer direct to garment. Um, I've I got a phone call about four years ago from a guy uh, actually going out of business, saying, "Hey, I've got a blah 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 Epson DTG machine," and I was like, "What?" Yeah, I'm I'm familiar with it and uh, started looking into it. And this was on like a Friday afternoon. Well, I spent the entire weekend researching, figuring it out because I was very interested. And, mm. and so the difference for everybody listening. So direct to garment is essentially a disruptor to the industry of screen printing. When when we print shirts, there's a few different ways to, to print or decorate them. One of them uh, being primarily what we do and still the majority of the industry is screen printing. Uh, the second would be embroidery or uh, kind of like heat pressing or there's a few different techniques that would I would consider specialty that I would classify in that second step. And then the third would be the newest and, and that would be direct to garment um, or uh, essentially digital printing. And so um, with direct to garment, it comes in and disrupts the industry of screen printing. So you actually are, yeah, you, you are familiar with printing and, and you hit some of those pain points. So the reality is uh, direct to garment eliminates the minimums for setup. So uh, with screen printing, every color has to be set up and it's a very labor intensive, but very art specific form of printing. Um, it has no minimums as far as like how many you need to order. So it eliminates the setup, eliminates the minimum, and it's unlimited colors. And so what's happening in the industry is there's a huge shift with, uh, well, I don't need to order 24 of this size and 16 of this size. And yeah, I pay, I pay a higher price, but uh, I don't have to house those uh, specific garments and, and then ship them. So mm -hmm. we not only direct a garment, but we also order. Uh, we also offer order fulfillment oh, wow. and and drop shipping with uh, you know white labeling. So if it needs to come from making it in Asheville and you want to insert flyers and packaging, we can do that. So let's talk about the the cons of direct to garment because there's a lot of there's a lot of really nice things. It, to right. Go it's, with. It seems like a dream, and and I just to to paint because I'm a very visual type person. I, the way that I imagine it, I tried to watch a YouTube video or two about it is you know how like uh a old school printer like a computer printer would go like mm -mm 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 back and forth and like slowly draw whatever you were writing on the page same idea except instead of paper moving through the printer it's the shirt is static and the printer itself is moving across and on top of the shirt or the garment or whatever the thing is is that right exactly Yep, that's and it's, exactly. And it's throwing ink onto it in like a perfect way, and it works the same. Whereas, like you know, color printer, you can get whatever colors, and uh, color garment, you can get whatever colors. As opposed to, it looks when I watch screen printing, it's like uh, you have to make some sort of a cast, and then it sits on top of the shirt, and you can do it by hand and like draw the colors across it, or you know a giant machine comes down and like presses the shirts and does it in one shot or one color at a time shot. Um, exactly. and it looks nuts. And sometimes they look like giant, like carnival rides where you have like six of them going, 10 of them going as opposed to like a single iron at a time. Like, a, yeah, that's exactly right. You hit it right on okay. um, screen printing. Every color needs to be printed by color, even like a temporary dry called a flash dry. Uh, when you start to add other colors on typically, 
Um, so we, we have a manual screen print machine. We also have an automatic, which is what you're describing, where, you know, it's a, it's a machine and really increases your capacity hmm. uh, and uh, the consistency as well. So the machine is more consistent than your hands or if you've been printing for six hours all day and your fingers are really sore, uh, you're not going to be 100% consistent like a machine would. So there's benefits of both, but also getting a machine set up is a little bit more time consuming than your manual uh, screen print press. So you hit it right on. Let's talk more about direct to garment. Yeah. Um, so as you described, think of big inkjet, a giant inkjet printer that prints directly to the garment, the fabric. We can do tote bags. We can do T-shirts. We can do face masks. I mean, there's there's a lot of things you can do with direct to garment. Now, here's, here's the downside. Uh, typically, it's cotton fabrics mostly. Mm. And so the reality is there's a lot of people that want tri-blends or polyester or... Uh, so direct to garment is a water-based ink printing machine. So it's the water base is really going to bond with cotton best. And so it does really good for cotton. And uh, the reality is the industry is still missing the component. The trickiest part of direct to garment is the white ink. And so hmm. when, you, when you print on, let's say, a black shirt, let's try to visualize this. If you want a really colorful photo, which we can do on a black shirt. Uh, you have to do what's called pre-treat. And so in the white ink, let's, let's geek out a little bit. There's a, a solvent component in the ink that needs to bond uh, with the fabric. And so without this chemical, it's called a pre-treat chemical, the white ink will not stick to the garment, which would not show the color on top of the white ink. So any shirt that's getting lighter ink than the shirt color uh, would need to be pre-treated. And so that process with the white ink still has a long way to come. There are industrial level machines that, you know, range 300, 600, even a million dollars in cost. So 300,000 to a million dollars for an industrial size machine that takes care of that pre-treat process, lays down the white ink and then the color on top. So there's, there is some evolution there, but it's still got to a pretty good way to go and for the majority of the shops other than the bigger companies like you you mentioned custom ink uh or uh amazon even has a, a pretty large uh infrastructure in place for print on demand in mm. fact i've seen them open it up two different times and they've had to close it in 48 hours just because of the demand wow. so what direct garment is doing is it is essentially turning any designer or anybody that wants to start a clothing company. If you have a digital mock-up of your shirt, um, you can really just start to sell products and be a brand, which is, which is good. But, um, the reality is direct garment is not as nice of a product as screen printing, in my opinion, and the higher cost as you start to grow, you're really going to want to work away from that direct garment, uh, printing process. That's what the internet has told me as well. I think that um, what you pointed out is is it allows for perhaps a speed to idea to execution. One of the things I I am, find myself constantly saying to people is like, well, you know, don't dream about it. Like, sell the thing. Like, sell, don't don't say, hey, what? Like, you know, we just posted it, so you know, I slap my own hand. But we said, like, what if we started selling products? What would you do? I, I think it's better to say this is 20 bucks. <laughs> yeah. You know, do you want to buy it? If yes, 
Bing, it goes off and gets printed even better if it gets shipped from where it prints. Um, and what that does is allows me to forecast, all right, so what if we actually leaned into this? Um, but I don't, I don't want to buy a hundred shirts from you. I want the ability to sell a shirt. For sure. You know, yeah. and then, and then once you start to do some things like forecast, you can make some guesses and, and be a little itty bitty baby Lululemon and, <laughs> and carry a little bit of risk. It's better. It's seemingly better if I can say, um, Hey, uh, Asheville print shop and screen printer. Can you, can you hold a couple of these ship them for me when they sell, when we get down to five, you know, run another batch, uh, as opposed to, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and take 200,000, <laughs> you know, units. That's not, that's not the type of business that I'm excited to, to build. That sounds risky. Yeah. And so, uh, there's another thing we offer, uh, it would be essentially the same thing, eliminating the risk, you know, uh, it's what we call a campaign. So, mm really just a glorified pre-order. So the, the image would look as if it's already printed, which our design team could help you know, pull that off. And uh, it has a start date and an end date. And uh, once the end date is up, there's expectations on realistically when we will actually start producing these garments. And uh, if you only sell nine of them, well, then we probably need to look at direct-to-garment. But typically over 24 pieces is a really good candidate for screen printing. And so if the, if the sales, you know, are there in that campaign, um, it's it's pretty easy to eliminate that risk and say, okay, well, why not pay $8 a shirt versus $15 mm-hmm. a shirt? Um, yeah, so there are ways around testing ideas and concepts. And um, what I'm most excited about now, specifically with direct-to-garment, is there's a new setup. It's called the digital squeegee. And so mm-hmm. the paint, as I mentioned, is that white ink and that pre-treat. So now there's technology called the digital squeegee where you have a very large screen printing machine that lays down a screen printed white underbase, which eliminates multiple screens setting up because really all you would need to do is line up a screen of the white ink and then the direct to garment print head without the white ink comes in and lays over 20, 30, 50 colors. And so that is changing the way screen printing is happening. Now they haven't been out long enough to see are the heads clogging up with that screen printing ink underneath because the reality is the problem with the white ink is that the white ink clogs up the print head and if the print head is clogged up then the printer doesn't work so holy moly yeah that's that is going to be a game changer for even the large contract printers you know if you're printing 12 colors what, what we would call spot color you'd have to make 12 different screens set up 12 different pantone specific inks well, now what's happening is it lays in that white underbase and unlimited color. So it's a game changer. That seems huge. And so um, I, I love the the synergy, the, the how your two businesses seem to complement each other and, and in some ways maybe hedge each other in, a, in like a riskiness. One is I need other people's businesses to do well to keep uh, the, the core of my bent, uh, business humming. The other mm-hmm. is... I need to have seemingly relationships, some good designs that someone can click and say, I want that one. Give me a hundred of them or give me 10 of them or give me a thousand of them. Um, And so like one is other people need to sell well and then we need to serve well and support them. This is like, you know, if we get in front of enough people with the right look, this is 
this is going to go off and the scale is great and the margins are probably really good because you're sitting in the middle carrying almost no risk. Exactly. Yeah, you hit it right on. Um, there's, there's two differences, you know, what we do with the print shop is, is helping people. And there's a lot of back and forth, you know, for example, we'll put together a design where you tell us blue and you were thinking a completely different blue. So there's a lot of back and forth just with helping you finalize what you want your print to look like. And that's what we pride ourselves in. And so there's a lot of that communication, um, on the flip side of nature bound, it's the complete opposite. So there's no back and forth. It's here's your designs or answer these questions for us for your favorite popular uh, state parks or hiking trails in the area. Let us do some research and let us design with our brand and our style. And then you just choose the design. So we, we have catalogs that, you know, different states or regions can choose from. And it's I'll take this design. I'll take this one. And we have minimum order. So mm. it's and. It's been awesome because it eliminates that back and forth and, and uh, really allows us to focus on what we're good at, which is creating a, you know, a strong design, a quality product and, and something that resonates and, and hopefully sells well. And uh, we've we've been doing pretty good at that. That's amazing. So um, I'd love to think about building a business that it has you know, hard assets that the assets have costs and those assets work, right? They need, you know, in order for your printer, you know, you mentioned one was up to a million dollars. I imagine you don't have that one, but you have things that cost real money to purchase and they need to return uh, on on their investment if, you, if they're doing a good job. So the more that your printers are printing, the better. The more that your squeegees are squeegeeing, uh, the better. How did you get started in printing so you mentioned maybe 10 years or so of print experience um did you work in a shop at what point were you like you know this guy's a knucklehead i can do this better or uh you know let me move to a new uh, market and and try this myself because this is interesting i'd love to go back maybe to the beginning of this uh print business exposure and strategy yeah so um i'm sure you've heard of the ufc like ultimate fighting championships, you know, mm -hmm. in college, my first step into uh, printing was uh, starting my own clothing company. And so at the time, mixed martial arts or MMA was explosive and in, in Florida and in California. If I mean, you tell was, me that you started Affliction, I'm going to go out of my mind. <laughs> no, actually, they were they were the biggest player. And, you know, that's really what motivated me to say these are cool designs, but uh I feel like we could do something different. And, um, so, and, and in case anyone's missing, I mean, it's hard if you don't know what that means, like that's, um, it's particular, but there was like a real hot run where like Von Dutch had like a very strong look and feel and then trucker hats came back and then affliction was just like heart, like kind of hardcore tattoo like designs on t-shirts that like left. It was more than just, words on over the heart or uh, like a drawing in the center it like let went over the shoulders like there's just there was a time where design was very aggressive and in your face um ripped jeans were coming back with aggression studs on stuff so like this is the time that you're talking about where you're like affliction exists mma is huge exactly. i'm gonna build a brand for this type of demographic 
Yeah, and Affliction would even do what's called acid wash t-shirts. And that's when I really started to dive more into the t-shirts. Okay. And like, what separates just like a black shirt from a, a shirt that has like all these different uh, looks and, and colors and different fades. And so I started learning that that was an acid wash t-shirt. And then how did they get the print so big and, and in your face? There was another company that I'd say is more than likely bigger than Affliction. It was called Tap Out. And mm. so they were... They were the biggest in the space, and, and it was really just one word on a lot of their designs, and, and they had brand placement. So we were uh, you know, in an explosive state. I really think that California and Florida were the biggest parts of the country for that. And, and so a pay-per-view, just to put this into perspective, would be every six, eight weeks maybe. Um, now you can turn on ESPN, and there's a full section for this. It's uh, weekly. It's it's sometimes daily. There's even reality TV shows that went like 20 seasons. This was before all of that started. And yeah. so there was a lot of these smaller promotions. And uh, same thing, tested a few designs and came up with a name called Dynasty Fightwear. Mm. And really unique uh smaller batch artisan feel not necessarily the the large affliction uh in your face it was something we were trying to do a little different and uh, actually started it at uh in college um so worked part-time uh went to college and then started this clothing brand and uh you know it had got to where we would travel around the southeast and pop up at shows and people really liked our stuff and we were competing with some huge companies that you know had twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollar advertising budget, maybe for that show, and they got their name on the ring. Well, we would sell three, maybe four shirts to their one, and people would just come up and be like, "Oh, I love what you're doing," and you know, being a passionate person, you know, interacting with people, I really like what you're doing. I can tell you, you, you're going somewhere with this. And um, so, fast forward a couple months or even a year, and, and, and just different- to to. Uh, make sure I'm, I'm tracking you're using a print shop to pull off your brand right so you're working as a brand so this is level four and you're working with a level two wholesale design shop to execute some of your visions exactly okay yep that's exactly right and um just started diving in more um we got to a point where you know, everything we made, every dollar, and I had a partner with this who's still one of my best friends. Uh, we realized that, you know, this was more of a lifestyle business. And that was one that I really just had to, you know, maybe could have sold or walked or you done something financially from it. But I really just bowed out. You know, I said, hey, this is this has taught me a lot. You know, I've interacted with promoters and events and we've we've endorsed certain fighters and uh, you know, really got a lot of professional experience and entrepreneurial experience, but I know this isn't going to sustain, you know, a career for me, or I know this isn't going to pay my bills necessarily because the reality was everything we made, we put back into, uh, to the business. And so as I moved up here, I really just bowed out of the business and said, super thankful. I'm going to, I'm going to start fresh up here, experience some new things. And, uh, you know, get a different taste of life. And so moved up to Asheville, kind of put down the printing, um, started to learn more design and uh, really get into website design um, and marketing, really been passionate about marketing. So really dove into internet marketing and and website design and even search engine optimization. Um, Did that for about five years, 
built that company up to about 22 different contractors and uh, had some awesome clients. And so that kind of helped me learn design and, and then quickly realize that, you know, I'm not the best designer by any means. And why not find somebody? Because I know that I'm decent at business. And so why don't I focus on business? And um, so got into marketing, got into more design, got into just growing more companies. And um, then I started a software company. And a, really the software company was uh, a product of the synergy of helping keep my team busy. You know, I've got 20, 22 people that need to stay busy. Um, so the software company was really a uh, event marketing company in the sense of, hey, you're putting on a 5K or a running event and uh, we'd love to help you with your marketing. So we'll help you with the website of things where you collect names and shirt sizes and you get a waiver signed. Uh, we'll also help you with like what your poster should look like to promote the event. And uh, we'll even help you with t-shirts. And so fast forward about a year and a half into that, I had four or five events that needed a handful of shirts and said, you know what, this is a this is a great opportunity to see if I can get into actually printing everything for for these events. And so went on Craigslist, started looking at equipment. Next thing you know, buying the equipment, started it at my house in a barn and uh, just grew it into what it is today. There's been a lot of people that have helped. Um, and yeah, I'm mean, super excited to to be involved. You know, initially, uh, I wasn't really interested in the production side of things, more so just uh, the business side and the marketing side and, and going and meeting with new people to seeing what kind of value we could provide to people. Hmm. So uh, it's been an awesome ride. And uh, as I mentioned, we didn't just start with uh, printing stickers. It was a few different things. And yeah. the next thing yeah. you know, the, the, the client wants to talk about, well, how do I embroider this? And I'm Googling or figuring out how to how to do this and maybe even YouTube. And so over time, we've just added different pieces of equipment and different services and just tried to really be agile and evolve and adapt to what our customers need. Wow. So at what point did printing, actually printing kind of start? When would you date stamp that? 2014, 2015? I'd say 2014. 2014. When we started, I started with a company called RX Prints, mm. and so that was a niche, a niche company that uh, we were internet based, really. So background internet marketing and and websites built this really cool website. And another explosive industry, I'm sure you've heard of it, was CrossFit. Uh, know it well, yeah. So RX is uh, you know prescribed, yeah. and so we we niched out and doubled down on that brand, and you know ended up building a spreadsheet of close to 6,000 gyms that were popping up. And and what I liked about CrossFits were, you know, they they all had the unique look. It wasn't one, you know, sports team that has to follow these colors. They all have different, you know, components that make up their gym. And um, they all love T-shirts. Mm -hmm. and Community. You know, not, yeah, and, and community. And it's not, hey, uh, I just need 24 shirts of this color and it has to be the cheapest shirt. And, and we do a lot of that. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, you know, we we really enjoy making nice garments, nice <sighs> products. And so CrossFits were, you know, basically the cheerleader of what we were trying to do. And, uh, you know, 
we we had some success. How interesting. So uh, one last question is the the software company. Did you exit that or did you just shut it down or is it still around? Um, it slowly kind of died out. It, I reached a point where I utilize open source technology. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't proprietary technology. There was a time where I was going to raise money and really develop proprietary technology. But uh that kind of got put on hold because of the explosiveness of the print. And um, so the company's still around. There's not really much activity, especially with events now. Yeah. But yeah. the reality is that is what started really buying equipment and getting into uh, the, the printing world. Yeah. I remember to this day, the first shirt that we printed was for an event called the Main Street Mile, which uh, I'm sure is still around. It might not be happening right now with coronavirus, but really it's this uh, street downhill in Waynesville on Main Street, and it's a mile running as fast as you can. And that was the first job we printed. So shout out to Eric Yarrington and uh, Main Street Mile. I love that. Uh, uh, so there's a something that comes up for me as you go through the, your story right there was um, – You know, movie stars want to be rock stars. Rock stars want to be movie stars. Stage actors want to get into film. Film wants stage. And they're they're seemingly, you know, there's always this like entrepreneurial grass is greener. It's like, oh, I'm in service. It would be great to have a software business. Like it would just be so, you know, SaaS. People are paying for a year at a time. Like I know exactly what to forecast. Oh, I'm in SaaS. I really wish I just had a physical product. Like I wish I was just selling a physical product. It would be so much easier if I could just like have a widget, output, sell it, put a price on it, get rid of it, you know. And it seems like you've touched most of those, you know, grass is greener uh, environments. You might even have, you know, a foot in all of the yards metaphorically. And I'm wondering, uh, across them all, is there a type of business now that gives you the most uh, excitement or that your your if it came across your you know uh, your your brain in a dream or across your desk in an opportunity those are the type that you think are most interesting today yeah great question it's funny you ask that um, I guess what you could say now I call my side hustle um, well first off I'm really interested in just printing it, it comes back to that uh, you know, micro businesses that we help. I don't necessarily help day in, day out on, on the customer side of things, but being able to help somebody start you know, and take an idea all the way and then they come back and order and then they build their team and it's like, hey, I need stuff for my, my new employees and yeah, let's look at hats and I really want people to look professional. That really, that really excites me. Um, and then the nature bound side, coming up with the idea and, and figuring out what is uh, we want to highlight and, and also bring awareness to these popular spots in nature um, is, is really exciting. But then here recently, my side hustle, I guess you could call, is uh, golf carts. And uh, it's, it's funny because, you know, my entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial journey started, uh, I'd say, around six years old. And so the way I describe this story is, uh, you know, I had a a single mom with, with two brothers. So there was three of us at the time and, um, grew, I grew up in Florida. And so I couldn't stand 
even at a young age, being inside. You know, mm-hmm. the weather was always beautiful. I would skateboard. I would bike. You know, we used to go to uh, the movie theater when I was six or seven years old, and and uh, really love that experience. You, I'm an I'm an extroverted person, so I get a lot of energy from being around people or in new places or coffee shops or breweries or what have you. And so, going to that movie theater, I got a lot of energy. I was like, oh, this is amazing. And um, I remember to this day uh, wanting to go to the movie theater. And my mom telling me that we couldn't because we didn't have any money. And I was like, well, what do, you, what do you mean we don't have any money? And so at the time, a movie theater ticket was probably $2, $3 maybe. Uh, hopefully not dating myself. But um, I learned at a very young age that I could solve problems. And so what I mean by that is I lived in this neighborhood. So we actually lived in a two-bedroom apartment. And my two brothers and I shared one bedroom. But we were... Uh, linked to maybe 100 or 150 different apartments, and every one of them had cars. And so in Florida, cars are, are, a, are a big deal. You know, people really treat their cars differently. You know, they customize them. They keep them clean from what I've noticed up here, and uh, it's interesting. And so um, I would go and knock on doors and say, hey, we're trying to go to a movie, and uh, we'd love to wash your car. Give us a dollar, if, and we'll wash your car. I don't remember if it was a dollar or two dollars or whatever, but we would do just enough <laughs> to get movie tickets for us, and we would we would go, we would finish. Sometimes it would take two hours, sometimes it would take all day, or maybe the weekend, or maybe we couldn't get it that weekend, and we had promises for the next weekend. But it was really hard to turn me down <laughs> yeah. up and telling my story. Hey, we, we want to go to the movie. We'll wash your car. We got our soap right here. And once they would give me the yes, I would grab my two brothers and say, okay, let's wash this car. I'm going to go try to get another car so we can go see Batman or whatever Mm -hmm. I want. And um, so that started my entrepreneurial journey. But then let's fast forward to maybe 10, 11 years old, if I recall. We moved out of the apartment complex into a big neighborhood in Florida. It's called a deed-restricted community. It was actually Mulberry, Florida. Not sure if you've heard of it. Shout out Mulberry, Florida. Uh, but uh, so I grew up in this really big neighborhood. It had a golf course in it with a whole different side of it, golf course community, and then a bunch of just normal houses. You know, think back to that weeds, little houses, mm-hmm. little boxes. Uh, and so they all had their yards. And uh, I started uh, offering lawn cutting services as a lot of people do in florida and and same thing lawns are a big deal in florida just because of the season and uh started cutting grass well that turned into uh hiring my friends and um you know at one point in time i think i had like 26 lawns to cut per week at like 20 to 25 dollars each and that was a lot of money sure and, uh so i uh, I just naturally started to try to grow. And so being 11, 12 years old, I couldn't drive. So I started getting into golf carts. And and over the course of the four or five years, I ended up having four golf carts. And they were used to pull a trailer to cut the off. And uh, so it comes back full circle to uh, childhood and, and the nostalgic piece of, you know, childhood and, and entrepreneurship and so uh, last year, 2020, I bought a neighbor's golf cart. Uh-huh. And, you know, it needed some work and um, fixed it up, loved it, drove it around. 
it wasn't fast enough. Sure. So then I started looking into more golf carts. Well, fast forward, I have about 13 golf carts right now that it will be prepped and customized and lifted. And it's something I try not to really touch myself. I, I hire a, uh, a friend that's doing like all the customization or sometimes my brother will help. He's very mechanical. Yeah. And so we get these golf carts that come like directly off a golf course and customize them and turn them into these Sick. awesome like camping, you know, off-road jacked up, you know. And then now my brain's starting to, to turn a little bit on, well, what if we put a logo on it and, you know, customized it for, uh, you know. But really, just a side hustle. I try not to, uh, to like, <laughs> so, spend on it, but um, it's, it's, it's been fun. And I'd say that's, that's pretty exciting because now I got all these different golf carts that that's, I can, you know, just drive around the neighborhood. But I try not to get attached to any of them as well because really just going to let them all go yeah that so i don't want to hype that uh side hustle too much but um we're where i am right now there is a custom wrapped gorgeous golf cart and uh and i think that you're on something sarah's has cousins in um in charleston and charleston has a very uh, i'll call it friendly to golf cart uh Street. street laws where it's like if it goes under 25, you're good to go or like over 20, but under 25, you can do something specific. I, I was told it once it didn't stick, but like there are a lot of golf carts in, in Charleston. Um, they're up everywhere, like L.A., New York. They're now becoming street legal, mm-hmm. but then like all the beach towns. Like I was in Jackson, mm-hmm. which is where I was born uh, last year, and they were everywhere. And it's it, it's a very you know, short distance, quick and go, very yeah. convenient and fun way that even kids actually, you should, you should look this up. I discovered this last year through just like being interested in there's a town in Georgia called Peachtree city. Mm. It's got over a hundred miles of golf cart trails and the high school there has over, I believe it's 150 parking spots for kids. And so kids get to drive golf carts to school. Peachtree City, Georgia. Look it up. Wow, Peachtree is the most common, I think, street name in the state of Georgia, and I will, I will look that up. Um, I, I love that. I think it's interesting. I think that the, the, the hybrid that you're painting for me of a, of like a four wheeler and a, a golf cart is interesting. It has my attention. The idea that these are camping golf carts even more. Can't wait to see it. Um, here's another thread that I'm now identifying is tied a bunch of these bits of the story together is your uh, ability to identify and proactively hop into trends um, like meaningful uh, culture moments that um, are substantial enough to to really make money in and to 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 ride like culture waves how do you think about trends how do you think at this point because one of the conversations i've had recently is you know the the better you're doing the more opportunities will come to you and it at certain point you need to get as good at identifying the good ones from the great ones because while um while having a lot of balls in the air is great, the likelihood that some fall becomes, you know, greater. And it, while parallel entrepreneurship is great, there's another important book called The One Thing. And so certain people, certain minds shouldn't juggle 
some yours and mine perhaps like can and and should but even still it seems like there should be some sort of or could be you would one might benefit from uh saying i need to get this thing to this stage before adding something else i need to get this thing to this stage i can't say yes to five things right now i can say yes to one and so like how are you thinking about trends how are you thinking about taking a business to a stage before looking for the next thing to run in parallel yeah so uh you mentioned synergy a few minutes back and um i feel like i've done a good job at starting if i'm starting a new business it usually is going to complement the other for example the website came Mm. from design or myspace and uh the software came from the website keeping the team busy the printing came from uh generating more uh, opportunities from the software and then the software or the printing turned into uh creating our own brand to keep machines running as you mentioned or keeping you know just keeping busy and um so i think synergy's been important in, in capitalizing on trends and and starting ideas but this this whole golf cart thing's kind of challenging that but uh so i think back to the initial part of the conversation the hundred dollar startup you know keeping keeping your ideas if they stay on your mind and you can't let them go that's a clear sign of hey i really should probably test this idea or make some moves Mm. Uh, in my opinion the reality is there's there's a lot of people that have ideas and and way better ideas than than me or even you know bill gates possibly uh or even jeff bezos but where the difference is is the execution and the persistence um not giving up. I, I remember a quote somewhere that was uh, the difference between an entrepreneur and somebody that's not is an entrepreneur is never going to give up. And uh, entrepreneurship is a roller coaster. You know, there's really, really good highs and really bad lows and um, it's consistency and execution. So if you have those ideas, uh, figuring out how to execute. Um, but then also, like you mentioned, uh, focusing. So focus is a, is a challenge for, I think, all entrepreneurs, unless there's an accidental entrepreneur. And what I mean by that is somebody that's really strong programmer is created a product and there's a huge demand for it. And next thing you know, he's got this massive company because he was really good at programming, but wasn't the tenacious, uh, I've got an idea. How do I monetize it? How do I turn it into a business? And, um, yeah, so uh, execution and, and consistency, and uh, you got to figure out what works for you. For me, you know, having those ideas and, and not the same thing day to day is what keeps me, you know, amped up and excited. Heard. With, um, with your current workload, how do you think about your days, your weeks, your months with multiple projects um, running in parallel? That's a good question. I've got a baby now. Mm. 13 months today. Wow. So Congrats. that's really, you know, I've, I've, I've been a huge fan of podcasts and listening to people that, you know, have knowledge. You know, one thing that I enjoy doing even on my free time is documentaries or just YouTube or just podcasts. You know, if I go running, I usually try to double up and listen to a, a podcast. So not only am I exercising, but I'm also taking in information. If I'm at the gym, I'm doing the same thing. I'm working out, but I'm also taking in as much information as I can. Um, 
focus is, 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 is like I said, a challenge for, for entrepreneurs. And so with multiple projects with a baby now, I really have to focus my time. And so it's not something that, that comes easy to me, but it's definitely something that's on my radar and ha- has me becoming more selective on mm. where do I spend my time? Do I need to help process this 40-piece uh, shirt order when I can be uh, looking for somebody else to bring onto the team or uh, figuring out different marketing strategies or uh, you know, reaching out to more accounts possibly for NatureBound because the success rate for the time that I spend in NatureBound is, is very strong. Um, and so it's a balance. It's a dance. You know, life is a dance. Life is uh, a constant need for uh, improvement. Don't become stagnant. Don't uh, get comfortable. Always get uncomfortable. Mm. Grow. And uh, that's a lot of stuff. But uh, <laughs> the reality is that's how I feel. Yeah. With... Um... With with multiple projects, with what I'll say is, you know, the the synergy. What shows up for me is the idea of finding, you know, Venn diagram type next projects that mm-hmm. that there's some version of an of an over overlap. So growth anywhere theoretically could be growth across all of the domains. Um, when thinking about a, you know, your businesses. Were there ever moments where you felt that you had to go, I'll say, all in and and take meaningful risk? Because one of the things that's what I'm I'm seeing is like it's it sounds like across all the projects, um, and as you know, perhaps uh, hyperbolically or as exemplified by the hundred dollar startup, mm-hmm. uh, taking small risks and stacking those small risks up. Tr- trends towards a success right like likelihood of no single moment being catastrophic is almost 100 percent. if you're taking smaller but larger every time larger risk have there been moments across your entrepreneurial uh journey where you you kind of had to go all in to take the next step to go to the next phase or have you intentionally um you know built your businesses such that there was never a moment where things were hanging on by a single success? Yeah, good question. Um, I think every entrepreneur has a a challenge with risk daily. Um, Some are less than others, but uh, the reality is any idea or any business, when you start, is a risk. It's a gamble. Uh, The the strategy that I try to take is eliminating as much risk as possible. So... uh, Every business that I've ever been involved in or started, I've done what's called bootstrapping. So uh, in my eyes, borrowing fifty or $100,000 to start a business is a huge risk. And right. so, uh, you know, I've seen fellow entrepreneurs or other businesses leverage uh, credit cards for a year with zero interest. I've seen entrepreneurs borrow on their house. And, uh, you know, it's about eliminating the risks, in my opinion. And, and um I've tried to do that many times, but you know, a big piece of the uh, the printing company, there was a risk in, in starting that and buying the equipment because I don't know if we're going to do anything else outside of these few events. Mm. And you know, 
that company specifically when I started. I didn't pay myself for almost two years. Wow. And uh, in addition to that, I was really running up my electric bill. And, uh, you know, my electric bill on a monthly basis was 600 sometimes $650 just wow. running equipment. Uh, and uh, that was tough. And there was times where, you know, I was really concerned uh, is this going to work? Like, at what point do I say, all right, I have to pay myself? Or uh, what am I going to do about this electric bill? And um, I remember, you know, being very relationship-based with printing and, and even uh, internet-based on top of that. Collecting deposits was a challenge when you're remote. And so I used to process a lot of shirt orders without a deposit. And so... What that led to was a cash flow issue. Hmm. And there were many nights where I would have, you know, twenty, thirty thousand uh, dollars on an American Express in my name personally, not a business name, with five or ten thousand dollars in the bank, and and that was a huge stress. You know, I almost couldn't handle it at times. And uh, my brother, who's a mastermind and and very uh, data driven and detail oriented, really dove in and helped me figure out that hey. You're not collecting deposits. If you collect deposits, you should eliminate this problem. And so that was a huge risk, you know, on a monthly basis. And I did that for almost two years until he really helped me dive in and uh, figure out that, hey, you got to collect deposits because the reality is this is a very cash flow heavy business. Mm. And, um, you know, on top of that, if you have a mistake on a thousand shirts, that's a problem. How do you go about fixing that and replacing those and indemnifying your customer? And so uh, that's what comes to mind. I think the biggest thing is just eliminating the risk and uh, being, you know, planning ahead. Like I said, I feel every entrepreneur takes risks. It's just uh, some are greater than others. And, and how can you offset some of that risk? Heard. Yeah. With, um, I, I, there are now. I, I'm, I'm thinking this episode might have to have like a, not necessarily a thesaurus, but what's it called? Like a, where, where you define all the words at the end of the book. Um, and it, but uh, parallel entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur. Uh, you just mentioned bootstrapping as a concept, and then one that came up quickly, and then I, I wanted you to continue into the story was the idea of a lifestyle business. Um, maybe we take a second just point at lifestyle business as opposed to the businesses that you're running right now, do, would you classify them as lifestyle? Would you classify them as uh, something else, something uh, perhaps more meaningful? Lifestyle entrepreneurship was a another, I'll call it, um, you know, cultural phenomenon started perhaps before, but definitely uh, made most popular by the Tim Ferriss four-hour work week that led to a Chris, you know, a Gillibo hundred dollar startup and, and more. So I'm, I'm wondering how would you define lifestyle business, lifestyle entrepreneur versus what, or, you know, and how does that compare to who you are today? Yeah. Great question. Um, I feel like a lifestyle entrepreneur is, is really somebody that creates a business or some sort of revenue around their lifestyle. So, uh, if I am a, single person that wants to go move to Indonesia because the rent is $500. Hold on. If I am a single person that wants to live in Indonesia for $500 a month, well, obviously my lifestyle can be scaled back significantly. 
or even Costa Rica. You know, it's a very, it's one of my favorite places. I'd love to even retire there part of the year at some point in, you know, the next 20, 30 years, hopefully. But uh, a lifestyle entrepreneur is really just designing a business around their lifestyle. And that's much harder to do fast forward where I'm at now. If, you know, if I have three people in my family, including a little girl that relies on, you know, income and, and that's a much more challenging business to justify. Um, I think it's great. And in fact, I'd say that my start into entrepreneurship was a lifestyle business, either with car wash and going to movies or washing uh, cars or I'm sorry, cutting grass to uh, to buy a dirt bike or the, the newest flip skateboard that came out. You know, mm. that was something that was driving my lifestyle and my interest. And uh, I think that's where a lot of entrepreneurs like myself start. But uh, definitely, I wouldn't consider any of my businesses at this point lifestyle because, you know, we've got a pretty decent team and uh, we have a lot of people that, that help us make up who we are as a business. And so I'd say lifestyle would be more of like a solopreneur. You can even add that or a, uh, you know, a, a web entrepreneur where they're working off the web. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's a great spot to start, and I yeah. think it's much easier to attain being a lifestyle entrepreneur versus, hey, I want to start a company, get 10 employees, and I want to service every company in the state of North Carolina. Mm -hmm. That's a much harder challenge, but I think in your entrepreneurial endeavor, you can land there. Sure. I, I, I think you did a great job defining lifestyle entrepreneur. Um, typically, they look to be in their, you know, twenties and it's often the first place people will go. Um, and it seems to me that a lifestyle entrepreneur might leverage your business in some way to, you know, sell t-shirts that speak to a brand that they're starting or a, you know, YouTube channel that they've launched. Um, wonderful. Is there anything in your entrepreneurial story that we might have missed, um, that you want to call out, um, maybe tenants that you try and hold to, um, you know, if you're Thomas, the tank engine, is there a think I can, I think I can that you tell yourself often anything like that? Yeah, I guess we didn't talk much on my coffee truck endeavor. <laughs> uh, so, uh, nature bound, uh, well, I've always been really passionate about coffee, um, and, uh, really enjoyed coffee. Um, got into different types of roasting and, and beans and where they come from. And, um, Long story short, I don't know if anyone on this podcast remembers Izzy's Coffee had a coffee truck that used to set up, uh, I believe, on at Luella's on Merriman Avenue. Mm. Um, at one point in time, I believe about three years ago, I got really excited about the possibility of a coffee truck. Um, it was something that I wouldn't say was a success, but uh, I, I definitely took a positive light out of it because I learned a lot, um, but really jumped the gun had the idea, couldn't let it go. Uh, we used it to try to help with promoting NatureBound and tied it into NatureBound and um, did two events. I realized that I signed myself up to be the first person at the event. Uh, I have to get up at 3 a.m., 4 a.m. to prep and clean and, and you know, the, the challenges that come with a, a food truck or even just a coffee truck are, you know, you don't have the, you know, the simple time-saving times like your cleaning supplies go here and and so it was really just from the hip all kinds of crazy stuff but the best part i learned about the coffee truck was 
I had the only solar powered coffee truck in the world to my, to my knowledge. So back to my brother being the mastermind and mechanical, uh, he helped me convert the entire truck to, uh, solar powered and it could run. I, I wouldn't run the whole thing on solar, but it could for an hour or two. But, uh, if you try to find a solar powered, uh, food truck, see if you can find it. But then on top of that, a coffee truck, there's usually food trucks with solar, but it couldn't run hundred percent, which, uh, was pretty cool. Um, but learned a lot and, uh, actually ended up getting all the money that I put back in with selling the truck. And when you came to, if you were to see the truck, which like I said, I only did two events. I mean, people would just flock and just ask, how did you do this? What is this? You know, cool. it was, it was it was a really cool uh, project, but it was one that I had to bow out of and realize that, you know, I'm not as interested in this as I thought I would be. So, well, that's I, I love that. That's the last story because uh, it seemed like it seemed like everything you've touched, you, you've you've you know, ridden till the wheels fall off. And I, I see coffee. My dad uh, has, my dad is a small business owner. I would not say that my dad is an entrepreneur. He's a small mm-hmm. business owner, and uh, he's been in the coffee game for about a decade now. And it's rough, man. Waking, he you know he worked at a he had the the lease to a uh, train station cafe, right? So all of our area of New Jersey primarily travels into New York City. Yeah, and so you know, let's say the first train into New York might have been like a four fifty nine or a five fifteen. I don't even know. So he's in to set up to be there and ready for when the first rush of, you know, grumpy finance folk who need to be there for, you know, five hours before the market starts or whatever. Um, it's that's, you can love coffee, but it, 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 you're, you're asking a lot. And so then it, you know, it's really becomes a question of, do you want to, do you want to work in the business or do you want to work on the business and that's one of my favorite uh, distinctions from a book called The E-Myth. And, you know, I think V2 is E-Myth Revisited. Um, but I, I, I see that if we're going to define entrepreneur uh, mm-hmm. versus small business owner, I see that as a huge distinction. Small business owners are wonderful, are incredible. I identify more as a small business owner than an entrepreneur if I'm giving myself, you know, a true assessment because everything I've done, I've worked hard in the business you know have not have intentionally not necessarily gone uh to to try and grow with heads or grow with tech or grow um so that i could pull myself out of the weeds um and so hats off to you for not losing your shirt (laughs) making a coffee truck uh business and and letting it go that's that's fantastic yeah Appreciate yeah, that. Of course. I mean, it, 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 you can't ask for much more than learning something and not losing a ton of money. Yeah. Or even a little bit of money. That's great. Yeah. So tell me, uh, we're transitioning, hard transition to uh, life in, you know, Western North Carolina, life in Asheville. When I say Asheville and community, what comes up for you? Amazing. I mean, one word, amazing. But if I had to dive in further, you know, I remember the first place I lived when I moved here in 2009 was right behind the walk uh, on Waynesville Avenue. I remember January 1st, 2009, when I moved here, 
for the first year solid. There wasn't a day that goes by uh, skateboarding on Haywood Road or, or biking, you know. It seems like there's a lot of really cool local businesses here, and the community really supports local business. And uh, for years, I said, I'm, I'm going to have I'm going to have a business on Haywood Road and, and I'm going to have a business in West Asheville. And um, I'm super thankful for the community. You know, there's there's some amazing relationships and, and partnerships and just people that live here. I feel like Asheville, it's, while it's a small city. We have, you know, resources and top level thinkers and, and people like yourself that really want to connect and, and meet other like minded individuals and just give back. You know, the whole uh, keep it local, stay local. That's a huge piece of, uh, you know, there's there's not a week that goes by that a customer comes in and says, uh, you know, we were going to go online, but we really wanted to work with a local company. And so we're super thankful for the community, for Asheville, and just the mindset that we have here uh, is very unique. And I, I feel like that's, I'm privileged and lucky to say that I live here. I love leaving town and then coming back into Asheville and just saying this is my home. Mm -hmm. And uh, West Asheville, even more specific, is is everything. I love that. With... um. You mentioned earlier, uh, perhaps you were an early adopter in overland uh, vehicles. W what do you do when not printing, taking care of a 13-month-old, uh, or you know, dreaming up your next business? Yeah, good question. Um, definitely done a lot of off-road vehicle. I've got a cool Toyota 4Runner over the years. We've we've taken out and discovered really cool trails, and uh, I like being outside. I like uh, traveling. I like uh, going to new places, uh, restaurants, coffee shops. Uh, there's a, there's another thing we didn't really talk about, but I did this two-month road trip with my brother for our web company. It was called Big Town Small Business, and uh, you know that got to uh, market. Uh, we got to travel. We got to meet new people. I got to connect with similar business owners and ask them questions, how, why, and uh Learning is something that, that I definitely think that is a, a daily, multiple times a day that is fun to me. Mm. Uh, learning is, is running with a podcast or connecting with somebody or, uh, you know, just, just having fun and asking questions. You know, from a very young age, I was the guy looking up at people and, and asking questions. And I used to say, uh, you know, ask the most ridiculous questions. And at the time, I didn't know, but day in day out people would say ha 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 why are you asking all these questions are you writing a book but the reality was i was taking in knowledge and information and so i love learning mm -hmm. i love traveling i love people i love getting energy from new places and new people and i love nature Dang. and printing is also <laughs> amazing i love it uh are your brothers older than you I'm the youngest of three. Youngest of three. I, I have an older brother, and um, I think that a lot of your story feels like uh, close to home. And yeah. so I'll say, uh, I don't know if I asked you. Maybe I asked a lot of questions. I don't know, but I I, I, I vividly remember uh, at some point recognizing that, like, oh, I get to I I learn from seeing how what, what my older brother does, and maybe not doing that or like. Uh, okay, that didn't work. <laughs> so, and, and I'm just, I, I can remember moments of being like, 
hold on to that. Okay, that's good to know. Like, oh, hold on to that. That's good to know. And um, and learning by observing and asking a bunch of questions and being like, you know, what happens underneath this rock? Uh, being a curious kid. Is there anything right now that is, um, I'll say, is your next frontier golf cart? Sounds like it might be it. But like uh, concepts that have your curiosity like where where are you spending a free minute uh, of of mental energy these days i've been spending a lot of energy trying to focus quite honestly and and i'm i'm very happy with you know the print shop and just nature bound and i, I think i'm at a place now where you know, I mentioned golf carts. It's definitely a side hustle. You know, I, I might spend an hour a week or maybe an hour or two a month. Um, it's really just uh, something I'm doing for fun that I that I am passionate about. But, you know, I think I'm happy where I'm at. You know, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean, you know, a year from now, I won't have the next idea in my head that just won't won't go out. You know, it, it's just always on fire. But uh Got a great team, and and I think there's just a lot of potential. I mean, we were thankful uh, with the pandemic last year. Uh, you know, things completely died for for two months. And uh, if you would have told me that was going to happen, I would have said, no way. There's mm-hmm. no way you're not going to get a single order in a month because that's never happened. And like the only way that would happen is if the world stops. And so uh, that happened. The <laughs> world uh, stopped. Yeah. You know, we slowly recovered and rebounded. Wow. Uh, we're not at the capacity where we were, but um, I'm excited about this year. I'm excited about things going somewhat back to normal. And uh, I think that between Asheville Print Shop and Screen Printing and Nature Bound Co., we're going to have an amazing year. We've got an awesome team in place, and uh, I think there's a lot of growth coming for us this year. And uh, the reality is I really just need to hunker down and focus on that. And uh, focus is going to be on my radar for the next year, maybe two, just because of uh, time. Time is the one thing that uh, you can't get more of. You know, you can you can make more money. You can uh, meet more people. You can go more places, but you'll you'll never be able to get back time. And so I've realized that and, and, and it's it's an asset and it's one of the most important assets. And I think that is a struggle for every entrepreneur is like, how do I, or, or business owner, how do I get more time? How do I create another version of myself and, and do more things in the amount of time? How do mm. I be more productive? And so productivity, focus, you know, that's, that's on my mind this year. I'm going to try to stay away from, from ideas and, and businesses and, and um, just hunker down and focus. I think you might have stolen a page out of my notebook for 2021. Uh, I hear that. I support that. Um, wonderful. I I ask, is there anything that we have not touched that is sitting like top of mind, front of mind, however you think about your mind, um, that you might want to focus feel, feels important does that look like meditation does that look like planning daily um otherwise the next question is how do people find you on the World Wide web support you yeah. follow along yeah um let's see i guess you can find me uh or find us nature bound co on instagram i'd say that's where we're most active 
You can also find Asheville Print Shop on Instagram. And inside there, there's links and, and details and examples. Uh, I also have a personal website. Uh, I haven't updated in quite some time, but it gives you a little bit more information about me. It's jacobballard.com. And, um, yeah, stop by our shop, 740 Haywood Road. Say hello if you want. Um, look us up online. Let us know if... Uh, you have any ideas you just want to talk about if you're an entrepreneur and you want to connect reach out to me uh keep supporting this podcast I, I like what you're doing i think you're doing a great job and um i'm very passionate about connecting with uh, fellow entrepreneurs and supporting other businesses and uh, just meeting people that share the same mindset and then uh, if you just have any questions or you want to bounce any ideas off uh, reach out to me on my website I'll try to uh, try to help brainstorm or help you start your lifestyle business if you want. I love that. Thank you. Uh, this was a, I loved this conversation. I feel like uh, we are birds of a feather. I'm so glad that we got to connect. I'm so glad this podcast exists. So we got to hang out uh, this morning and I appreciate your time. We'll talk soon. Appreciate you. Thanks right. so much for the opportunity.